please take your Bibles and, uh, and open them with me to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. We're going to be reading, going to be reading verses 1 through 8. This is, a, this is a psalm of Asaph. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Please follow along with me in your Bibles as I read. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Father, I ask you in the person of the Holy Spirit to come this morning and open our hearts ears, our minds, open our eyes to see the beauty of the gospel and the words that we've read this morning. May may we be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever I read through this psalm, I come to this psalm, sometimes in my Bible reading, I'm always reminded of the responsibility that I have as a parent to communicate God's saving truth to my children. These first eight verses remind me that one of the most challenging responsibilities in this world is that of being a parent. And I think that most parents in here would would probably agree with that. Yes? Amen? Certainly every job has its own unique challenges and stresses, but probably the hardest job that an individual could ever have is being a parent. I mean... It's 24-7. There's no vacation. There are no sick days. (laughs) No time off. And, of course, there's no pay. So I'm not saying that to paint parenting in a negative light. I love being a parent. But I'm saying this because being a parent is such a serious task. And... Certainly not for the faint of heart. So all of you young marrieds who do not have children yet, don't, don't let what I'm saying scare you. Children are a great blessing. 
But raising them in the nurture and, and admonition of the Lord is hard. It's hard work. So when I read Psalm 78, I feel the weight of my responsibility as a father to pass the faith on to the next generation of my family. I feel it heavy. And the Bible expects much of us as caretakers of our children's souls. And we see a lack of biblical parenting. The consequences are, are spiritually devastating and, and far-reaching. I mean, how often do we read in the Old Testament, First and Second Kings, of the ungodly kings in Israel and Judah who followed the ways of their wicked fathers? Over and over you read that phrase, and such and such walked in the ways of his father and caused Israel to sin. When you look at the kings in Judah and Israel, only a handful were good. The vast majority were, were wicked. So the responsibility to pass God's truth on to the next generation is a serious one with terrible consequences if we fail in that task. And we are seeing exactly that right now in our culture in America. Over the past two decades in the American church, we have observed a very disturbing trend of children, youth leaving the Christian faith as they grow into young adulthood. The statistics, in fact, are pretty scary, Some almost to the point that when we hear them, we just kind of shrug them off like, oh, it's just somebody's made that up. But in 2006, the Barna Group surveyed 22,000 adults and 2,000 teenagers and found that 61% of young adults between the age of 20 and 39 who were active in church as teens were no longer connected to the Christian faith in any significant way. A six out of every ten. And that's honestly a conservative estimate. I've heard LifeWay did a research uh, study similar to this, and, and the number was, was higher. Six out of, of every ten youth who grow into young adults in the church or in America are walking away from Christianity. 2008, Britt Beamer and America's Research Group did a similar survey of 20-somethings who identify as conservative, Bible-believing evangelicals. That, that's us. Conservative, Bible-believing evangelicals. And their research found that those of those who are no longer active in church, 95% of them attended faithfully in elementary and middle school, and 55% of them attended church faithfully in high school. Only 11% of young people raised in conservative evangelical homes were still attending church when entering college. Now, this should be eye-opening for us, because Christian parents and, and pastors, youth pastors, children's workers have typically believed that attending college was the breaking point for these young adults who lead the Christian faith, attributing their, their, the loss of their faith to the conflict between the secular and Christian worldviews that they're exposed to in college. But this research shows that somewhere between 80 and 90% of young evangelicals are having serious doubts about the Christian faith before they ever set foot on a university campus. 
Only around 11% of those surveyed had their first doubts while in college, which means that the vast majority of evangelical youth who do leave the church are doing so long before they meet that stereotypical atheist professor like the fellow on God's Not Dead. In fact, as many as 40% of them are leaving the faith before they even finish middle school. Now, their parents may still make them go to church. They may be here, but they're not here. You understand? And as soon as they get out from under mom and dad, typically when they leave home for college, they formally do leave the church. They just quit going. Stop. Which is why we see the sharp statistical change at that point. But they're already gone long before then. Now, while that should scare us as parents, grandparents, and pastors, youth workers, children's workers, deacons, uh, the most recent research is showing that some of these young adults who left the, the faith in their early 20s are starting to trickle back in as they marry and have children. That makes sense. Want to raise your kids in church? You know, it's good. But usually with a far less Christian worldview. Okay? But the truth remains that we are bleeding out the next generation of Christians. We're bleeding them. We're bleeding out. Profusely. Six and ten. And the problem is not the university. The problem lies at home. There's something missing at home. And this is where our text speaks today loud and clear on the importance of passing the faith on to the next generation. In verse 1, we see Asaph, the writer of this particular psalm, urging God's covenant people to listen closely to what he has to say. When we read about Asaph, you don't see a lot about him in the Bible, but we find out that he did have four sons who grew up to, to take his side as musicians in Israelite worship. His family and later descendants founded a, a sort of musician's guild that continued to serve in temple worship for centuries. This is a good thing. So Asaph is a man uniquely qualified as a parent to teach us how to pass the faith on to our kids, to the next generation, to those yet unborn, as he writes. So Psalm 78 is an exhortation to God's people to realize the importance of their responsibility to teach the faith to the next generation. And what Asaph says in these first eight verses that we read is especially applicable to us as we try to be faithful to our call to bring up our children in the ways of God. So I want to make three points from this passage. And if you are not a parent here today, or if you're a teenager or a child or whatever you are, grandparent, I guess you would be a parent. Uh, But anyway, please don't check out, okay? Please don't check out if you're not a parent raising kids. Because most of you either have been parents, you're grandparents, or you will most likely be a parent one day. Or be in a position to help parents in the spiritual formation of their children. These truths apply to all of us. 
First thing I want us to see is that parents bear the primary responsibility of passing the faith on to the next generation. Verses 3 and 4, the opening verses of this psalm, Asaph says that he will speak the things that he has, he has heard, that he has been told by his fathers. Notice plural, fathers. The word fathers here does not simply mean one's own father, but also one's ancestors. So Asaph is tracing the spiritual heritage of God's covenant people back through the generations, acknowledging that the truths about God that they have learned came from their fathers and their ancestors before them. This is a long line of godly truth. Now this passage does not explicitly say, okay, that the responsibility for passing the faith to the next generation lies primarily with parents. You don't find that in so many words. But deeply embedded here is the understanding that the deposit of faith and truth from generation to generation comes predominantly through a child's father and mother. Every Israelite hearing these words would have understood this. Let me give you a couple of passages to make this clear. Genesis 18, verse 19. God's talking about Abraham. He says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. You get that? So the, the promise to Abraham is going to come through his family. We know that. You know, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the promised son was Isaac. Joseph came along, and years and years and years and generations passed, and Jesus was the fulfillment. He was the true son of promise. But here God clearly charges Abraham to teach his children and his entire household to live under the lordship of God. Deuteronomy 4 9 says, Take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. So you see, the responsibility lies not only with parents, but also grandparents. Now, at this point, I just want to acknowledge the obvious and, and, and make a connection between where they were and where we're at today. There were no Sunday school classes in the tabernacle. There were no youth group, no children's program. And when you look at the worship of the early church and the church throughout the centuries, you won't find them there either. In fact, we don't see anything remotely resembling the heavily programmed and segmented approach to ministry that we have today until the very late 18th and early 19th centuries. Timothy Paul Jones, a professor of leadership and church ministry at Southern Seminary, he writes, For many of us, such programs are perceived as the primary context for the Christian formation of children, but it hasn't always been this way. This is the church as the 21st century knows it, 
The 20th century refined it, and as the 19th century created it, end quote. So I stress this not because Sunday school, children's church, or youth group, but those are not bad things. But we have to acknowledge that the responsibility to teach the children the faith primarily belongs to parents. It sits square at their feet. This is not something that you can outsource as a parent. And regardless of how inadequate to the task you may feel, I've talked to many parents, and they just feel like, man, I just can't do it. I don't know. I don't know enough. I'm not trained in theology. I don't know the Bible. So regardless of how inadequate to the task you as a parent may feel, I promise you that no one is better qualified to teach your children about God than you. Because that is the way God has designed it. It is our job as the church to come alongside you and help you to do it. Verse, verse 4 of Psalm 78 says, We will not hide them, them being the, the truths of God, His saving activity in history. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. I don't know any Christian parent who would intentionally hide the gospel from their children. But when we neglect to disciple them at home, that's exactly what we're doing. We're concealing from them the very truth that can save them, feeling pretty good that we bring them to church every week or send them to Christian school. That is not God's design. I used to work in a Christian school. I saw this every day. It's not enough to bring your kids to church. It is not enough to send them to Christian school. You have to teach them at home. The second point I want to make from this passage is that the faith is passed along, along through active instruction. Look at, verse, look at verse 5 and 6. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law into Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. And the implication here is that they the next generation would arise and tell them to their children. So the spiritual instruction that the Israelites were to give their children was composed primarily of two two things. Number one, the saving works of God in history. And number two, His law. If you read on through the rest of this psalm, which I encourage you to do, you see Asaph recount particular divine actions of God in the history of Israel, from Exodus, from the Exodus from Egypt all the way to the establishment of the Davidic kingdom. God's at work. Well, see, this is what we're telling our kids, that, that we have a history. This is our spiritual heritage. They were also to teach their children the law. In fact, the first book that, that an Israelite family would teach their children was the book of Leviticus. Can you imagine that? First book, the first content that young Israelite children received was straight out of Leviticus because it taught them what God expected of them. Moses said in Deuteronomy 32, verse 46, Take to heart 
all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. Wow. The law was not merely a vain external exercise of religion for the people of God, but it was their very life. This is what the Israelites were to pass on to their children so that they could understand God's expectations of them and embrace their identity as the elect people of God. When we look at Psalm 78 through New Testament eyes, we understand that God wants us to teach our children about His providences, His saving work among His people, His law, His doctrine, the whole body of biblical truth. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, you're familiar with this, I'm sure, says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. First place it is in the Christian home is on the hearts of the parents. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. The covenant truth was the center, the, the center, the core of life for the Israelite family. This is how the faith was passed. And it seems to be where we're suffering the most in the American church. Are we centering our homes and lives around God's truth? Are we actively, actively teaching our children the faith through family devotions, regular family devotions, family worship? To many Christian families, sadly, the idea of family worship is completely alien. What, what, is, what is that? Do we sing hymns and take the offering at home? It's fallen on hard times, and we're seeing we are eating the fruit of it. Outside of random, rare conversations about God, so many families, Lord help us, rarely talk about spiritual things, much less gather together on a regular basis to read the Bible and pray, much less gather together at all. In his commentary on Psalm 78, Charles Spurgeon wrote, the great Baptist preacher wrote, The receipt of truth from the lips of others laid the instructed believer under solemn obligation to pass on the truth to the next generation. Blessed be God, Spurgeon says, we have now the less mutable or less changeable testimony of written revelation. But this by no means lessens our obligation to instruct our children in divine truth by word of mouth. Ministers and Sabbath school teachers were never meant to be substitutes for mother's tears and father's prayers. My final point from Psalm 78 is that the aim of our effort is eternity. Look at verses 7 and 8. Actually, we'll just start reading at 5. He, he established a testimony in Jacob 
and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, here's the purpose, here's the goal, here's the aim, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So Asaph concludes his introduction of this beautiful psalm with one very clear goal, that the next generation would set their hope in God. This is it. Every faithful Israelite family would know that although their children were ethnically and physically a part of the nation of Israel, they were not automatically a part of the true covenant people of God by virtue of their ethnic or physical descent. They had to personally and authentically embrace the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and walk in his ways. And if you read the rest of Psalm 78, you'll find many times where God destroyed those who were ethnically Israel. Yet with stubborn and unbelieving hearts, they proved themselves not to be a part of the true Israel. This is equally true for us today. Our children are not made right with God on the basis of our faith. Certainly there are blessings and benefits in being born and raised in a godly family. But salvation is only for believing children. And that is the singular focus of why we do what we do. The goal of the Christian home is not simply head knowledge. We're not trying to pass an exam. Not external adherence to a a form of morality or ethics or intellectual assent to a certain belief system. You can say you can have kids and teens who can they can spout off all the theology you want, young adults who go to college, they know it all. But that's not the goal. The goal is here. The goal is not immediately visible. It's the heart. The goal is that our children would authentically trust Christ, embrace the Christian faith, and live a life pursuing the glory of God. Verse 7 says that they should not forget. We have a tendency to forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. This is the evidence of genuine faith. What we believe about God and how how we live. Verse 8 simply states the, the, the goal negatively, that the next generation would not be like their disobedient and unbelieving fathers. Wow, what a testimony. Lord, when I die, I don't want someone to pray for my children that they would not be like me. The salvation and spiritual growth of our children should be the foremost goal of every Christian parent, every grandparent, every youth worker, teacher. We don't merely want to see them make a profession of faith so that we can sleep better at night. We want to see them become genuine disciples of Christ, not nominal Christians who profess Christ with their mouth, but functionally, they they live functionally as atheists. We need to look inside and ask ourselves, are we doing what is necessary as parents so that our children would set their hope in God? And there are no guarantees. I wish I could give you one. 
I wish I could say that if you did A, B, C, your children will be saved. I'll give you one better than that. You do what is necessary, what God has commanded you to do, and then you trust their souls in the, in the hands of a sovereign God. And that's the only hope that we can rest our heads on at night. We do what we know to do, <laughs> and then trust God to, to save sinners. The responsibility to be faithful parents can be overwhelming. I feel it right now. Especially if we know that we haven't been doing all that God has commanded us to do. It's easy to see that what we haven't done is sink into discouragement. I don't want you to be that way this morning. I want to close with a few thoughts that, that will encourage and challenge us to be, to be better at this, to, to be obedient to God's Word for our children. First thing I want to say here is that that we, we should repent of any way that we have neglected our responsibility to nurture our, our children's souls. I have to start there. Say, I'm sorry, Lord. I haven't been obedient. I haven't been as obedient as I should be. But we cannot live under the weight of past guilt. For what we haven't done right, we can receive forgiveness and commit from this point on to be the faithful parent pointing our kids to Christ. It is never, hear this, especially those of you with teenagers, it is never too late to refocus and center your family on Christ. When we trust in the sovereignty of God, there is no such thing as too far gone. The second thing, is to, to make family devotions a real priority in your home. It can be as simple as taking 10, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. A few nights a week, opening up a book of the Bible, reading through a chapter together, discussing and asking a simple question, how it applies to our lives today, and saying a simple prayer. Or you can get a a family devotional like the one I read from this morning to help guide you in family worship, especially if you have smaller children. I can, I can point you to a lot, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good resources. You've got to make it a priority. You have, to, you have to commit to doing it. Third, we need to order our schedules so that we have sufficient time together together as a family around God's Word. Listen, American families are so busy that we, we spend very little time together as a family unit, whether it's sports, music lessons, extracurricular activities at school, work, or even church services. We are busying our families to death. Ask yourself this question. How often do we gather around the table for dinner at night in a given week? How often do we gather together before everyone goes to bed? You know what? When you, when you have teenagers, it's still okay to tuck them in. Just say, good night, I love you, let's pray. Fourthly, I want to make a, a special appeal to all of us fathers. See, we have a distinct responsibility to point our families to Christ. Fathers, you saw the word in the text. 
Paul used it in Ephesians 6. Investing time, effort, and work in the spiritual formation of our kids must sit at the top of our priorities. If we provide for our families financially, but fail to provide for them spiritually, we have missed the target altogether. But we want to see our children in heaven with us. All other concerns are secondary. And if you're a single mom in here <laughs> this morning, or maybe you're a believing wife married to an unbelieving husband, by the grace of God you can step up and you can lead your children spiritually and rely on God to help you to do it. He will grace you with that. God is faithful. I'll give you a promise right here in the New Testament. When we read about Timothy, young Timothy, Paul's, Paul's son in the faith, Paul traces Timothy's spiritual heritage back to his mother and his grandmother because his father was most likely, from everything we can gather in the New Testament, most likely an unbeliever. His mother was Jewish, his father was a Greek, most likely an unbelieving Greek. God uses mothers and grandmothers too. If you're a single parent, trust the Lord to strengthen and enable you in His grace to lead your children spiritually, to look to the body of Christ, that's us, for help along the way. We are all in this together. I've never met a Christian parent who denied that they were responsible to disciple their children. But many, if not most, simply they do not know where to start. That's where it's our job as a church to provide ways to equip you as parents to do what God has called you to do. We are committed to doing this and getting better at it. Committed to getting better at it. Finally, if you feel overwhelmed right now, trust Christ. Every time I read it, I feel overwhelmed. Trust Christ. If you're a parent with older, older grown children who show no evidence of faith, pray for them. Put their souls in the hands of a sovereign God who alone saves and regenerates hearts dead in sin and unbelief. And maybe you're here today as a parent, and maybe you've never even committed your own life to Christ. Jesus died to save sinners. Perhaps you've never personally repented of sin and trusted in Christ to save you. You can leave here forgiven. You can leave here different than when you came in. And you can leave here empowered by God through the, through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to be the parent that God has called you to be. Please don't go back home thinking it's too late for your family. Let me tell you, God saves households. God has always worked through families. He delights in saving families. This is our solemn duty as parents. Lord, help us to point our children to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as, as your own children. You who father us so well. We pray that we will look to you as as our Savior, our sustainer, our
as our own example to be godly fathers and, and mothers and grandmothers to our own children, our own families, so that the next generation might set their hope in God, so that these statistics, these awful numbers can be scrubbed from history. Lord, that you would send a revival to the Christian family in America. It is often said that the so goes the church, so goes the nation, but so goes the family, so goes the church. God, revive us. Restore our families to faith. Restore our children to faith. Restore our parents that we would... We would meditate on the Word of God, that we would put it in our hearts, that we would speak of it as we rise, as we sit, as we go, as we come, and it would be everywhere in our house. God, make us faithful to do this, and we'll give you the praise, we'll give you the glory. We'll be eternally grateful for your saving grace in our lives and in the lives of our children. In Jesus' name, amen.